Lord. Turn your Bibles to the father of faith. His name is Abraham. And I know a couple years ago you guys had this sermon. You did a Genesis series, but I thought it would be good to do this again in Genesis 12, 10 through 20. And uh, we're going to learn about this father of faith, Abraham. My grandma was a saint of a woman. She, uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was a baby. And we moved in, and I grew up with grandma and grandpa and mom. So my grandpa beat my hide, and he was an old German Lutheran, and he, uh, he, he did it pretty good, too. And I needed it. <laughs> but grandma, she just, she was in the business of making sure that we grew in the faith. Uh, she loved to listen to Moody Broadcast and, and had five-day clubs in the back of our backyard. And, and she was one of the instruments that God used to lead me to the Lord. But I remember one time I was heading on a mission trip to Peru, and I was a high schooler, and I didn't have the money for it, and my grandma said, God is going to provide exactly what you need. You watch and see. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, I was, that's going to be tough. And the organization I was using, they always gave you a balance of how much you lacked. And uh, we sent out all these letters to even relatives. I don't know who they were, but grandma knew who they were, and to pray and to support if they wanted to. And and all of a sudden, I got a bounce back, and it says you need $60 to finish to go on this mission trip. And the next day, I got a check from an uncle who just passed away, found out, from Colorado. And that uncle gave me a check for how much? $60. I was floored. But then I said, man, the money's coming in so fast. It's just going to keep coming. How much more came in? Not a dime. I said, God provided. And what did he do? He built my faith. God is in the business of building our faith. He's in the business of building Abraham's faith. Abraham, he struggled just like you and I struggled. He had a hard time. We're going to learn from Genesis 12, 10 through 20, this great statement. Listen to this. The object of your faith affects you, affects your family, and affects others. Got that? All faiths have objects. Everybody has faith. Even the atheist has faith. He has faith in himself and humanistic thinking. Everybody has faith. It is the object of the faith that is key. And the object of your faith, what you are trusting in, will influence you, it will influence your family, and it will influence others. Let's look at that in Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Wow. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. See that? Twice, this famine in the land. The title of this message, you might add, you might say is this. There was a famine in the land, but there was a famine also in Abraham's faith. Okay? Why do I say that? Well, I believe the object of your faith affects you, and it's affecting Abraham, because God was testing his faith that day. Because if you look in the context with me, look at Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. In verse 6, or verse 5, Abraham took Sarah's wife and Lot his nephew and all his possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanites was then in the land. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, catch that, to your descendants, he has no kids at the time. He says, to your descendants, I will give what? This land. Are you getting it? 
God is saying, leave this land, go to a land I'm going to show you. So Abraham does. He leaves, takes his wife, and he heads out, and he gets to the land. He's walking the land, and God reveals to him, this is the land. This is the land I'm giving to your descendants. And we'll see in other verses, he walks through the land looking at it, and he actually comes up on a hill and builds an altar, and he practically is saying to all the inhabitants of the land, the God of the universe, Jehovah, he is the one that is my God, and he's given me this land, I declare it. And then verse 10 comes the test of famine. Now let me ask you something. Does God know when it's not going to rain or not? Let me ask this. Does the meteorologist know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes no. I mean, they get it off. They get it on. It's amazing, you know. But God, he knows, doesn't he? Is he in control of the weather? Yes, he is. And God is in control of the weather, and he allows this famine, and I believe he allows it to test Abram's faith, to see if Abram will trust God, because he just showed him. He just told him. He said, go to the land. Get to the land. And Abram did it. And that was faith, wasn't it? Took a lot of faith. And he gets to the land, and God goes, all right, man, he's in the land. Now I'm going to test him and throw a famine. And what do we see him do? Verse 11, he's hightailing out of there, leaving the land. Let me ask you something. In Genesis, did God do any miracle to prove that he can make something out of nothing? He sure did, didn't he? In Genesis 1, he said, let there be light. Boom! There was light, wasn't there? Just like that. Maybe not like that, but, you know. Out of nothing, God can make something. And we do that, don't we? I try to tell the kids, you know, say apple. Apple, you got weak powers, man. No apple up here. Let's see your dad. He's pastor at church. He's got a lot of faith. Say apple. apple. No apple. He too. I can't do it either. But when God says apple, guess what? Boom! There's an apple. Because he has the ability to make something out of nothing. Right? Amen? Isn't that true? It's called exenilio. He's able to do that. And that is the God, the creator, that's called Abraham. And that's the one who had said, this land I'm going to give to your descendants. And this was where he should have stayed and trusted him. Did God in a famine provide for you? Let me tell you about a good friend of mine named Brian Warren. Brian Warren's a missionary in Mexico. Before he was a missionary in Mexico, he was a Calvary Bible College student. And he was married and poor. And they sat down to have a meal but there was no food on the table. And he said, let's thank the Lord for his provision. And the kids looked at him like, Dad, you are weird. Man, there is no food out here. <laughs> but he said, Lord, thank you for the food you provide. He said, you take care of us. His wife had something to be thrown out into the trash. So he said, son, let's go throw the trash out. So as they went out to throw the trash, came out there and throw the trash out. And a man was out there and he said, hey, would you know anyone that needs some bread? I've got some bread from the store for free. And his kids just looked up like, God is providing. That's right. God's in the business of building our faith, and he can do stuff like that, can't he? Does he still do that today? You better believe it. So Abraham, he just, he messed up, man. He started putting his trust in his thinking, and he started thinking, okay, what I need to do is I need to provide, and I need to take care, and I, I know God said this land, but this land is not providing so I'm going to head down, as he said in verse 10, to Egypt. Do you find it hard to trust God during the tough times? Real quick, one finger here in Genesis 12. Go to 
James chapter 1. James in the New Testament. In Brazil, I, I have the custom always to say where, it, where you find it. It's in the New Testament. It's right after Hebrews. If you get to Peter and John, you went too far. And it's because our people are newborn babes in the faith, and they just need help to find it. But you get to James chapter 1, verse 2. Look what it says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Is that what you do? Got a trial coming up. It's a joyful thing. <laughs> well, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith, look at that. The testing of your faith produces what? Verse 3, endurance. In verse 4, James 1, 4. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, but if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So is God in the business of building our faith? Yes. Is he going to allow testing to come in our life to help build it? Yes. And if you don't understand what you're going through, James says to do what? Ask him with faith. God, help me understand what's going on. Abraham should have done this. Oh, God of the universe, you called me from my land. I left it, and I've gotten to the land you asked me. I don't understand. What should I do? And I think God would have made it clear to him. But he didn't do that. So the object of his faith affected him, and the next thing you know, Abraham is taken off. We'll go back to Genesis 12. He failed to trust God, stay in the land, and so here he is. Verse 11 through 13, look at this. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, See, now I know that you're a beautiful woman. Isn't that a great thing, guys? Isn't that what we're supposed to say to our wives? She's 65 years old at this time, by the way. How many 65-year-olds do you know that are beautiful? Now, don't answer that. If you're married to a 65-year-old woman, you better say, My wife's beautiful. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I probably think here that 65, she probably didn't look 65 like today because they lived a little longer back in those days. And, but anyhow, she was 65 years old, but she was a beautiful woman. And verse 12, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. So please say that you're my sister, so that I may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Look at that, man. Isn't that a good husband, woman? Women? Woman. <laughs> Women, sorry. <laughs> Isn't that a good husband? Is, what is he doing? He is planning a, a lie. Father Abraham? That's right. Father Abraham is planning a lie. He's got it all figured out. Because you know why? Because the object of his faith is not God. He's not trusting in the Lord. The object of his faith is himself and rationing and thinking it through and trying to figure it out and resolve the problems on himself. You know it? And so just like a domino effect, listen, when you start trusting anything but God, like a domino effect, you will start doing one sin and after another sin and another sin. And isn't that true? And if you lied, you know about that, don't you? Who here has never lied? Raise your hand. Very good, because I was going to call you a liar from the front. No. <laughs> We've all done that. When you lie, it seems like it's like a domino. It makes you have to lie for another, doesn't it? And what it really is is the object of your faith is not God. And so it, when it's not God, you will start feeling that. Listen to some. 
Oh, wait, that's later. We'll get to it. All right. So Abraham plans a lie, and then he executes the lie. <laughs> well, now we see his wife in the situation, so now we get to the second point is what? The object of your faith affects your, your family. Hey, young person, listen up, man. I'm talking right to you, young person. Don't ever think that you make choices that are your own and they'll never affect anybody else. I remember being a young person thinking, that's my life. It has nothing to do with you. I'll do it. I'll make this choice. That's not true. All decisions always affect other people. It affects you. It affects your family. And it affects God. Doesn't it? If you're a Christian, he says, your very words can make the Holy Spirit sad. Can you imagine that? The Holy Spirit, God creator, omnipotent, all-powerful, sad because one of his children is using words that are not edifying. Ephesians 4, 29, 30. That's why in Ephesians 4, you guys have been studying Ephesians, right? About relationships. It says like this, do not lie to one another for we are what? We are members of the body. So your, your choices are never your choices alone. They always influence other people, always. And so here, the object of the faith of Abraham is not on God, and it's affecting him, and, and now it's affecting his wife. His wife, verse, go back to Genesis 12, verse 14 and it came about when Abraham came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Isn't that a good husband, women? He made you lie, to ask you to lie. You lie, and now you are in another man's home to be his wife. Now, we know that if you study history and all that, that it was a process to be a wife of the Pharaoh and a process to be a wife of the king. And, and there is a process through it. And it takes time and there's all the, the preparations and stuff that. But he still, Abraham was willing to, to put the purity of his wife online. Isn't that amazing? That's a terrible husband. Is your husband terrible? Don't answer that. But there are times that we are. There are times I'm terrible. Can you believe that? I mean, here I am. I just took my wife to Hawaii, New Zealand, and Australia for a honeymoon trip, our 26th honeymoon. And, uh, and I am still a terrible man sometimes. You know why? Because sometimes the object of my faith is not God. And when it's not, it's idolatry. And it influences the family. And it's sad. And so here we have... Sarah in this predicament. Let me ask you this. Are our kids watching us and imitating us? I remember this commercial when I was a kid. It was about smoking. You know, the guy's smoking. Oh, oh, countryside stuff. And the guy looks down at his kid and says, son, don't do what I'm doing. But pretty soon the son's doing what? Smoking just as well. Look at uh, Genesis 26. Go to Genesis 26. Abram had a son. <laughs> the son's name was what? Isaac. Very good. Isaac. And in Genesis 26, let's read verses 1 through 7. 
Now, there was a famine in the land. Oh, man, look at that again. We got another test going on. Uh, the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to uh, Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. You see that? Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, yep, that's my woman. What are you going to do about it? No, what did he say? She is my Sister, that little liar. For he was afraid, the verse says, to say, my wife, think the men of the place might kill him on account of, for she is beautiful. Well, side note, maybe it's good to marry an ugly wife, huh? No, I'm joking. But let me me just tell you right now. Abraham had difficulty. That wasn't the only time he did that, that line, by the way. He did it several times. And I think that Isaac had heard the story, and maybe somebody in the household even uh, bragged about it, you know, how he got away with it. Do people do that, brag about how they get away with life? And somehow, I'm just telling you, it's interesting, the sin of Abraham is the sin that Isaac's doing. You know what makes me mad sometimes? Is when my kids act like me, sometimes. I notice sometimes my kids do something, and I, I discipline them. And as I'm disciplining them, I realize that is what I just got done doing about a week ago, or something I did. They do exactly what I did. Isn't that terrible? That is terrible. You know why? Because the object of your faith affects you, and it affects your family. Does the object of your faith affect others? Let's go back to Genesis 12. (laughs) Verse 17. Genesis 12, verse 17. Now, according to history, uh, Pharaoh, this Pharaoh at this time, was actually trying to bring morality back into the country of Egypt and try to do things right. (laughs) Can you imagine? And in verse 17, it says, But the Lord struck Pharaoh. Look at that. Struck the innocent guy. Look at that. Struck Pharaoh and his house with what? What's your version say? With what? Great plagues. It's not bad enough to just have plagues. You're going to have great plagues uh, because of Sarah Abram's wife. Wow. What is going on? Well, we see that Pharaoh is getting a lot of painful treatment upon him and his household. They're suffering. They're suffering because of who? Because Abraham's wife, but really because Abraham lacked faith to trust in God. And so the domino effect and it influenced others. You see that? Wow. Well, surely if Pharaoh is getting hit with plagues and that family from that, surely Abraham's getting it too, right? That's what Brazilians do. Right? Get, give it to him. Can you do that? 
Yeah, it takes talent. All right. Look at verse 16, Genesis 12. Verse 16 says, Therefore, this is Pharaoh, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Let me put it in, in the translation for today. He's given them cars and pickup trucks for transportation. He's given them workers for free. He's given them investments that will bring more money in the future. So Abraham's suffering, right? He's getting it good. Let me just tell you something real quick. That's why sometimes it's hard to inspect by material blessing of somebody's right. You could be getting all kinds of uh, business success and things seem to be producing and your health is good and, and things are going great and you could be in sin. Totally in disobedience to God. Romans 2.4 says, The goodness of God bringeth repentance. The goodness of God bringeth repentance. Hmm, Abram, what was he thinking? Well, I'll tell you what, his, the object of his faith affected Pharaoh and his family, and then it, it affected the soldiers of Egypt. How do you say that? Well, watch. Uh, somehow, Pharaoh gets to know, I think divinely, God shows to him what's going on. I think God lets him know that these plagues are happening to you because you've got this man's wife, and you better not touch her because I've got plans for them. And so he's like, oh, okay. So watch what Pharaoh does. Verse 18, Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she's your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? Said so I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. But look at verse 20. Pharaoh commanded his men, so there's our soldiers, concerning him. And they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. One time I was heading back to Brazil. I, I I was, oh, I, I was, I went by myself. We were on furlough one year, and I had to go back down to resolve something in, in the churches down there. And I was on by, by myself, and when we got to, uh, I think I was in Houston at the time, catching our flight to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And, and here came uh, a man, a Brazilian, handcuffed, and a couple of men escorting him. And they took him right up to the plane, took his handcuffs off, and made sure the door shut because he was an illegal immigrant. He was trying to stay in the United States illegally. So he got kicked back out to Brazil. Well, what happened is Pharaoh <laughs> says, men, take this man, his family, his possessions. Don't take any of his possessions. Don't be mean to him. But I want you to make sure that he gets out of our country. You know why? He represents a monotheistic God, and we represent a polytheistic God, and he has caused me a lot of pain. Did you catch that? Isn't that true? Egypt represented all kinds of gods. And Abram represented what? The one true God. And who was acting more morally right? Have you ever encountered unsaved people who seem to have it better than you? I remember a guy in Brazil, man, I was trying to outdo him in good works. He was a doctor and had a lot more money than me. And so he was always doing good stuff. And I was trying to do good stuff. 
you know, and then he'd do more good stuff, and I would do more good stuff, and then I gave up. I can't do as much good stuff as him, but if it's not by faith, it's all in, it's all in vain, yeah. But here it is. I imagine, I imagine fairly, I, I don't think they had walkie-talkies back then, but we don't know, do we? We weren't there, but maybe they did, and I, he's like, hey, is he gone? Yeah, no, you stay there. He, no, no one comes back, no. Stay there and make sure that guy never comes back. Because <laughs> he caused us a lot of great plagues. Interesting, isn't it? It's a military escort. What an embarrassment. What was Abraham thinking? Here he was getting blessed with all kinds of goodness. He should, his conscience should have been building up and saying, man, I'm so messed up. And then on top of that, he gets rebuked by the leader of the land of the polytheistic gods. And then he is escorted out in a military discharge to make sure that he has gone out of here. Bad testimony. Have you ever had a bad testimony? It's a terrible thing, isn't it? It really is. Um, I remember a guy in Brazil. His name was Edgemilson Ponches. Edgemilson Ponches. You ever heard of him? No. He's the mathematician wizard of the world. Yeah, he's from our state, Alagoas. Matter of fact, uh, he, he was older when I met him in 1994. He was an old man then. But he, uh, he said, he didn't tell me this. Other people told me this. He, um, he was the one that watched United States shoot missiles and missed their pinpoint accuracy. He got the formula for it. And he figured out, <clears throat> he figured out that uh, the formula was wrong. So he corrected it and sent it to NASA. And NASA did the corrections, and now we can, we can shoot a missile from here and hit a car, can't we, in Pakistan? Thanks to Edgy Milson Ponchies. You got that right. And Edgy Milson Ponchies, uh, got a, he did not, and NASA asked him to come work for him, and he said, no, I want to stay in Brazil and develop our country. And then I met up with him and was teaching him English, trying to witness to him. And I was a new missionary in Montreal, and, and uh, I went to his house because uh, he hadn't been to class, you know, to uh, my house to do English class for a while. And I found out he was sick. He was lying there in bed dying. And, and I, I told him, you know, I'm a pastor also, and I just said a prayer. I kind of copped out. And then he died. And I thought, man, I feared this high, powerful position guy in Brazil more than I feared God. I really did. That's why I didn't go. Edgemil's Ponchi's, you're, you're probably not going to make it through this. And the Bible says that you're a sinner, and we're all sinners. And if you were to die today, um, do you, are you sure that 100% you'd go to heaven? Because that's what I do with everyone. But I didn't with him. And then he passed away. Now, I believe that whom God is going to bring to heaven, he will make sure they get to heaven, right? But I believe I have a responsibility to witness to those whom God gives me. And I believe I will be judged for that. You know, I believe that the object of my faith influences me, influences others as well. Well, the good news is this. He gets back into the land, chapter 13, verse 1, and, and, uh, and he demonstrates faith to his nephew Lot, and he keeps growing in his faith so much that he becomes known as the father of faith, doesn't he? 
Father Abraham. But I just wanted you to know that story that he failed in his life. He didn't do a good job. And it influenced his family. And it influenced others. It influenced the testimony of God. But the good thing is, is that he didn't give up. Man, I messed up. I shouldn't go to church. You messed up. Where do you need to be? In church. You know what I mean? Because in church, we're going to hear the songs that are going to lead us in knowing the Lord better. We're going to hear the sermons where the Holy Spirit can pierce our heart and sanctify us. Church is where we need to be. I was thinking about that. How do we, how do we, how do we grow our faith? I was thinking about that. Well, remember, it's the object of your faith that we need to trust in, right? And the object of our faith needs to be God. So I think if we have failed, the first thing we need to do is ask God forgiveness. You want your faith to grow? You need to ask God forgiveness. Get your heart right. And maybe you're here and you don't even have 100% surety that you're, you're even saved. So your first step is that you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ as your, your Savior. Is he that died on the cross, or that he that rose again, and only Jesus has the power to save eternally. Okay? Salvation, faith, listen, faith does not save you. It is the object of your faith that saves you, and the object of your faith needs to be powerful enough to be able to forgive all your sins and take you to heaven. And the only one that can do that, the scriptures say from Genesis to Revelation, is Jesus Christ. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. And that is the good news. So once you've done that step of faith and you've received eternal life, now we must grow in our faith. And how do we do that? Well, when we fail, we need to trust God and say, God, forgive me of my sins. I messed up. I want to do what's right. Second, we need to grow in our understanding of the object of the faith, and that is God. And how will you grow in your understanding of the object of faith? You need to study what? You need to study the Word. You need to be in the Word. You want to grow in your faith, you need to understand the Word. But Hebrews teaches us it's just not, and James as well, it's just not hearing the Word. It's actually taking the Word and practicing it. I will sacrificially love my wife because in Ephesians 5, that's what it says for me to do. I will discipline my children, even though it is not very convenient, and I want to buy some groceries, but I will take them out of this grocery store and deal with their heart, because that's what Ephesians 6 tells me what to do. See that? I will be a good, honest worker, even if the other workers are trying to tell me, don't do that, because you're making us look bad. Everyone cheats. And I will say no, even if it gets me fired by their false testimony of me. Has that ever happened in life? It has. See, it's not just, just hearing the word. It is taking that word and meditating on it and practicing it in day to day. Okay? And that's why Hebrews says that you get strengthened, you know, you get more mature and grow in strength, you know, to be able to face the next thing coming down your way. And the other thing I put down that I really believe that will build our faith is getting around faith people. You know it? If you hang around unsaved people and listen to pagan music all week, you are going to have the hardest time living by faith. Listen, 
You need to evaluate your life. You, you might, there might be some music you need to get rid of and priorities you need to change. Knew a family who would never send their kids to Christian camp because it interrupted their life for the secular things that they wanted their kids to learn. Yeah, kids aren't in, the, in walking with the Lord, in my view, today, struggling. I don't know why my kid's struggling. I do. You made it real clear to them by your practical choices that what was more important was the fame of this world instead of the fame of God. I need to be real careful, man. I want my kids to be talented. Jordan, my second son, he's got abilities I he can't believe, man. He, he said, Dad, buy me a violin. I bought him a violin down in Brazil. First day on the violin. By the end of the day, Lord of the Rings, kid you not. That was my son, Jordan. I said, man, Jordan, you're pretty talented, just like my grandpa, not like me. <laughs> but... Try to emphasize to my children, but the most important thing is not your talent. Let not the wise man boast in wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in riches. Not let the strong man boast in his strength, but let him boast, boast in this. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says that he knows God and understands him. Listen, most important thing, we need to show our children that people of faith are the most important people on this earth. You know, my kid sees... Uh, what's that guy's name that plays basketball and shoots threes forever? Steph Curry. Man, Steph Curry. I wish I could shoot like him, you know? I wish I could uh, run like uh, Bolt, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, 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 and who's the new guy? Almost walking on water, according to Kansas City? Patrick Mahomes, you know? Patrick Mahomes. He's great, and I love the guy. But I, I, I hope that my kids see from me that I go, praise God for Pastor J.D., trust in the Lord with his wife and his family. Man, what a great man of God. That is the man that we need to put up on the pedestal. You know, why do I say that? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, he's talking about all these people, and then he says this one little phrase, there are people that the world does not, do you remember, deserve. They're not going to be the people on the front of magazines or the front of the news, but in God's eyes, they are the men of and women of faith. You know, a friend of mine, Kurt Sebo, out in Pennsylvania, really good at that. His kids love to listen to other men in the faith. You know, and we just, we need, we need to cherish our brothers and sisters in the faith. We need to cherish the church. Because this is where we get energized, isn't it? To do what's right. This is where we get the eternal perspective and get the priorities put right. And no, not everyone is perfect in the church. That's right. But we know the perfect one. And that's what we want to grow in and be more like is Christ. So you want to build your faith and you need to ask forgiveness when you fail. You need to get in the word and you need to practice the word and you need me to be in the fellowship the fellowship of the local church. So how are you doing? Is your life a life of faith? Are you trusting God with the 
dating relationship? Are you trusting God with raising your children? Are you trusting God with your business, with your finances? Are you trusting God with that famine that just came into your life? I hope so. Because the object of your faith will affect you. It will affect family. It will affect others. And we can just throw on the last one, and it affects who else? God. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I just thank you so much for your uh, mercy and graciousness with us. And, and I just thank you, Lord, for your encouragement from other brothers and sisters. And, and just thank you for the testimony of faith, of trusting you. And Lord, I just uh, I pray that you will build everyone's faith here. That everyone here, myself included, we would all grow trusting you and loving you uh, in the good times and in the difficult times. Lord, we, we trust you with our eternal life where we felt the conviction of your spirit and, and it was obvious that only Jesus could save us eternally and trusting in him with all the faith of the heart. And we do that, Lord. But then we fail to trust you with the earthly things. The eternal thing we did to trust, but not the earthly. And forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to remember you are the creator that made something out of nothing. You can take good care of us, and we need to trust you for that. Build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.